2: You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio.
3: Welcome to the program, Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. We're down to Danette. Fritzy is taking his son to Syracuse and his first day of school. So Fritzy is out for the rest of the day. But he's here in spirit, of course, and helping us book some great guests. Coming up, Nick Saban will join us. Uh, Mac Brown, the North Carolina head football coach. Jeff Van Gundy on the call last night for ESPN ABC, their NBA analyst. He'll join us coming up in about 15 minutes and the great actor, Brian Cranston, all of that coming up on the show. A lot of great entries in NextGreatPodcast.com, The contest that I came up with in conjunction with our partnership with iHeartRadio. And we have over 450 entries right now. You have until the end of the month, we're going to pick up to 10 semifinalists, give them a thousand dollars producing a pilot episode and A lot of the entries have nothing to do with sports, and I encourage you, if you have a great idea, all you want is somebody to hear you, listen to your idea, and give you some feedback. And then we're going to have America vote on it. America will vote on the Next Great Podcast at nextgreatpodcast.com, and then I'm going to be in partnership with you. Really excited about this, and uh, judging from the entries, it sounds like you are as well. But nextgreatpodcast.com, and you have until the end of the month, you have until Monday to switch over to Peacock. Download the app. We'll be on Peacock on Monday. And uh, I we did a tutorial. It's really simple, 30 seconds or less. You'll have the app. You put in your email. You come up with your password, and you're on Peacock, and you'll be able to watch this show starting Monday. And uh, we do want to say good morning to those watching on YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Uh, say good morning to Chat Row and those listening to the program on our 362 Affiliates Around the world, we'll have a poll question, play of the day, stat of the day as well. But let's begin with the headlines. The number one seeds in both conferences, the Lakers and Bucks, did not look good last night. And neither team looked good in the eight regular season bubble games leading up to the postseason. But I think everybody was under the impression yeah, but come playoff time, that's when you flip the switch. I've never seen the switch. I've been in a lot of buildings, a lot of rooms, and I look around, I don't see that switch. Because it's not there. You keep thinking, oh, you flipped the switch. The Lakers still struggle on offense. And if you can't score on Portland, you can't score on anybody. And the Bucks, you can't be reliant on the Greek freak as much as you are. You can't have that much of a separation between the Greek freak and your second best player, Chris Middleton. You can't do it, even against Orlando. And maybe this is the only win that Orlando has. But Orlando, at least, should get your attention. And certainly the Blazers, they have the Lakers' attention. The top seed struggles, you know, that could speak to the unusual circumstances. You don't have a home court advantage, but you've got an opponent in the Blazers who are really a four or five seed, I think. If everybody's healthy, then they're a four or five seed. But this is going to be a tough out for the Lakers for a variety of reasons. The Lakers have been banged up. Uh, The Blazers have been playing in a playoff mode for the last couple of weeks. But you can't make excuses, and people are going to make excuses today. Portland was the better team last night, the better all-around team. Top to bottom, the Blazers were a better team. And if the Lakers aren't going to shoot better from the three-point range, you're going down in flames. Five of 32. And Anthony Davis, if you're not the best player on the floor every single night, the Lakers are not going to win a championship. Plain and simple. You can't go eight for 24. And he waits for things to come to him. He's got to be aggressive here. You know, these games mean everything. Kenny Smith mentioned this at halftime. Anthony Davis almost waits for a double team. You must be proactive. And for those of you who are going to criticize LeBron for deferring, I'm going to take you back to the game-winning shot that Kyle Kuzma had a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago, and I said, if this happened in the playoffs... We would be critical of LeBron if Kuzma doesn't hit the shot. It was a regular season game. They ran a design play. Kuzma hit the shot, the three-pointer, and everybody was like, okay, now they got their third option. You can spin it however you want to. LeBron played great. The Lakers get off to a slow start, as they have every single game in the bubble. And then they come back and they played pretty good defense, second, third, fourth quarter. But... LeBron had a wonderful night, and he deferred a little bit. You have 16 assists. I'm sure somebody's going to be critical of LeBron James today. Yeah, exactly. Not exactly. Breaking <laughs> news. I, I want to find somebody who's not critical of LeBron today, because I'll, I'll be in the minority today. He played great. Uh, he did defer. He got everybody involved. He did what he's been doing during the regular season. I don't worry about LeBron being the problem here. It's everybody else. Alex Caruso, what are you, one for six. Anthony Davis didn't play well. Kuzma. Like, I I got to, it just felt like Portland was going to, yeah, go ahead, take the shot. Yeah, go ahead, take the shot. And Portland, you know, maybe it's adrenaline. I thought that they were going to be spent. But give them credit. They played hard, played well, pulled out the win. And game two of those series have become a lot more important and a lot more fun for us to watch. But we'll talk to Jeff Van Gundy about this because you saw the Bucks, and it felt like the Bucs were what we thought they were going to do. Hey, they're playing Orlando. We'll just get out there and run up and down the floor a little bit and, uh, you know, spend the rest of the afternoon chilling by the pool. And all of a sudden, Orlando was like, um, hey, guys, uh, we're going to make you work a little bit harder. I watched a lot of the Rockets and the, the Thunder, and I thought the Thunder, if you're going to come out and, and make a, a lasting impression, get the Rockets' attention, without Russell Westbrook, last night was the night to do it. And OKC did not look good. I give uh, you know the Rockets a lot of credit. You yeah, know, Played well. Charles Barkley uh, was trending last night. Number one story. He was trending. He says, if the Blazers beat the Lakers last night, he thinks they'll sweep the Lakers. And then the studio guys, Kenny, Shaq, and Ernie, were like, whoa, what? And then Chuck at halftime of the Rockets and the Thunder said, James Harden is the best offensive player he's ever seen. One on one offensive player he's ever seen. Now, I'm fascinated by James Harden, and I do think he is unique. But I don't know how Jordan would play with today's rules. I don't know how Kobe would play if he was just starting his career with today's rules. I don't know what some of the other great scores in the history of the game would be like. I don't know that. And it's dangerous when we do this because it's generational, When somebody plays and how they were guarded, how they played, what you were allowed to do, not allowed to do. I mean, you saw two technicals in the Dallas game that we would have not even stopped play 15, 20 years ago in the NBA. What Porzingis did by challenging Morris, we we wouldn't even have said anything about it. The, The officials would have said, play on. So it's a different game. But Charles said that, Harden can get his shot against anybody almost at any time. Uh, He is is in the conversation of unstoppable. Now, he stops himself, but he is unstoppable at times. And there are very few in the history of the game. Would I say he's the greatest offensive one-on-one player? No, because Kareem is the greatest offensive weapon the game has ever seen. Nobody could stop the Skyhook. Nobody, nobody in the history of the game. Nobody, I don't care who you are. You couldn't have stopped that. Uh, and, and so if we're talking about what is unstoppable, Kareem was unstoppable. You know, Michael had, Michael could be stopped. He could be contained. But if Kareem, or certainly early in his career, if you got a chance to watch him, it was, it was unbelievable. He could have averaged 40 a game if he wanted to. But he came from a team tradition with UCLA. And, you know, he was just not that kind of player. Yeah, McLevin.
4: See, all these guys, uh, Harden, Luka, and Giannis, they dribble anywhere they want. Because if you breathe on a guy in the perimeter, it's a foul. That was never like that. Giannis could never dribble all over the court. No. 20 years ago. No. Say, I don't know about Harden. Would, how would he have played in the Jordan era? Would he? Well, he's if, so physical. You think he would be strong enough to do that? Oh my gosh. Yes.
3: Like he is, he's a big guy, big guard. You know, he's, he looks like he could play a lineman for uh, the Cowboys. I mean, he's, he's a, a physical guy and he is so good at angles. Scores are so good at angles. You don't have to be the most athletic, but you have to be really smart in how you attack and Harden is brilliant at how he puts you on his hip, gets by you. Do they blow the whistle far too often nowadays? Absolutely. They ruin the game at times. Interrupt the game. Let it go. Because, you know, back when Jordan played, you could put your hand I could put my hand on you. And guys would just put their hand lean on you. You can't do anything now. But Rock, you know, uh Harden takes advantage of the rules, and I give him credit. The great ones understand what they can and can't do. What can I get away with? What are you going to call? But Harden is one of the great one-on-one players in the history of the game. Would I say that he's the most unstoppable? I would not. But he's in the conversation because his ability with the great handle, got great feet, and he's able to do that step-back jumper. The, the only way he stops himself is when he misses those step-back jumpers. But if you if he gets you on his hip, he's getting to the hoop. And they're going to make that call. So uh, Van Gundy will join us. We'll talk to him about who should be more nervous, the Lakers or the Bucks. We also have a story that's brewing in the Big Ten. And uh, this is from Jeff Snook, who is considered an Ohio State insider. He's written some books about his alma mater, the football program. And he had this this morning. Breaking news, Ohio State's athletic director working on a plan to get five other Big Ten teams to participate in a 10 game schedule coming up this fall. Let me take you back to that Sunday night where the presidents of the Big Ten got together on a conference call. And I know that people have pushed back on this and said they did not have a vote that night because that next morning I told you that there was a vote with the presidents, it was 12 to 2. Because it was Nebraska and Iowa, their presidents wanted to play football. The other presidents, led by the athletic director of Ohio State, Gene Smith, did not want to play football. And nobody can refute that. Iowa and Nebraska's presidents, they wanted to play. I haven't heard any other presidents who came out of that conference call who said, hey, we wanted to play too. But now you have Gene Smith, the athletic director, who might be the most powerful athletic director, certainly one of them in the country. He has full support of Ohio State's president, and they're working behind the scenes. What they want to do is you would have Penn State, Nebraska, Iowa. They're trying to flip Michigan and Wisconsin to join them. Now, if you're trying to tell me they didn't have a vote, then why do you have to flip Wisconsin and Michigan because, well, they voted against playing. That's why Illinois and Northwestern not involved in the conversation because of state guidelines or restrictions on COVID I'm told, but uh, you've got the athletic directors involved in this right now. And Gene Smith is leading the charge. So what is happening is they want to have a schedule where if you have 10 games, you play each other twice. Sources said Monday night, the Big Ten presidents never voted on the issue before the conference adjourned its meeting last week. Well, I disagree with that. It wasn't a ballot box. It, I, I don't. It, it's semantics here. But nobody can refute that Iowa and Nebraska presidents wanted to play. I did not have any other presidents on record saying we wanted to play. Uh, so what is going to happen? Also, keep in mind, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, on Tuesday, approved high school football to be played this fall. That's a big deal. But as far as how this is being presented, and I'll go back to what a coach from the Big 12 told my source, this is a huge advantage if the Big 12 can play and the Big 10 can't, because in their minds, they had just moved past the Big 10. The SEC, ACC, Big 12, if they pull it off this season and the Big Ten doesn't, this will be, there'll be long-lasting ramifications for the Big Ten. Gene Smith knows this. But what, what changed in the last five days, six days, I'm not sure, but something did. Because I was told Gene Smith was leading the charge to not play football in the Big Ten. My source told me that this morning. Two sources told him that Gene Smith... Did, he was leading the charge. Not the president's, the athletic director at Ohio State. But something's changed, and they're looking at a 10-game schedule coming up this fall. Yeah, Paul.
5: Uh, one week ago, Gene Smith, the Ohio State athletic director, tweeted this, quote, Ohio State has continued its communications with the Big Ten Conference office regarding a scenario to still play fall football. He said that a week ago, that he and his people were pushing to still have a fall football schedule. That yeah. doesn't jibe with the fact that, he recommended not playing to his president during that vote.
3: Well, he could have said that, but, you know, changed after it. Because now when you start to look at, I mean, you got to answer questions here. How is it the Big 12 ACC and SEC are getting away with this? And we're not playing football? At least trying to play football? And I don't know what happened with, you know, the athletic directors or the presidents or the commissioner of the Big Ten. But... I kept, from what my source said, there was very little dialogue that the coaches and athletic directors were involved in with that decision to not play football in the Big Ten. By the way, you haven't heard a peep out of anybody in the Pac-12. Nothing. So Pac-12 is not playing football. Uh, I was also told, my source said, this is a long shot to happen in the Big Ten. But I think because you got Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback, you have a defensive back at Ohio State. His last name is Wade. His parents or his dad is going to go to the NCAA or Big Ten headquarters in Illinois Friday. So you have all of this groundswell in Columbus. And then where is your athletic director on the same page? And that's what's happening right now. The athletic director, Gene Smith, is on the same page with the players And Ryan Day, their coach.
5: Yeah, Paul. Dan, you grew up there. You're still an Ohio State person deep, deep down in your history. If I told you a month ago that Ohio State high school football would be playing, the pro teams, the Browns and the Bengals would be playing, and Ohio State football would not be playing. Uh, (laughs) With the hierarchy of football importance in that state?
3: Well, I, I just don't know why they didn't go kicking and screaming. That's the one thing that surprises me. Even if you do it for show, and maybe this is just for show, but that's where you, you have to be out in front of this and say, look, we want to play. But I think in compliance with the Big Ten, Ohio State was going to be a good team member there, a good you know school partnership there and say, yeah, we're either all in or we're not. But I'll go back to what I told you on Monday morning two weeks ago. Iowa and Nebraska wanted to play, and I did not hear any other president who said, and that's why there was a 12-2 to 2 vote that they weren't going to play. So they overruled Iowa-Nebraska. and And then Nebraska goes, we're going to go rogue. Maybe we can join the Big 12. I didn't hear any other schools say that. Iowa was planning on doing something. But I didn't hear any of these other schools. So uh, if people want to have semantics
2: here on the vote, go ahead. <laughs> Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
0: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of. $300,000 anyone can win relationships matter and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: Charles Barkley was trending last night prior to the Blazers Lakers game on inside the NBA Sir Charles had this to say
4: if the Portland Trail Blazers win tonight They're going to sweep the Lakers. Sweep Oh, I'm
2: telling you.
3: Uh, They all had a good chuckle with that. And then the Blazers go out and pick up the victory. Jeff Van Gundy on the call for ESPN ABC. And uh, what was your reaction when you heard that Charles said if the Blazers win last night, they'll sweep the Lakers?
5: Well, interestingly, I had said just the opposite the day before on a (laughs) show. I said that I thought... That the Lakers had a better opportunity of sweeping the Blazers than the Blazers had of winning the series, and last night, um, you know, Portland shot under forty percent from the floor, and they still won. Yeah. And so um, I got to give them a lot of credit. I think they were hardened, you know, t- you know, because they had to win so many games. And just like Milwaukee, you know, at the end of one. Uh, The Lakers were down double digits, and so they were playing from behind the whole night.
3: Yeah, and they've been doing that every single game in the bubble. If I didn't watch the game last night, how would you sum up why the Lakers lost?
5: Awful shooting, you know, five for 32 from three. Terrible from the free throw line. LeBron and Anthony Davis were uh, a combined 16 for 24. And then LeBron and Anthony Davis, who have to absolutely carry them offensively. Uh, Davis was 8 for 24. LeBron was 9 for 20. So, you know, it was a substandard night offensively all the way around. They didn't turn it over. They played really hard. They were up on the backboard. Um, But their offensive skill is very limited. James and Davis have to be great.
3: Yeah, I think Anthony Davis, night in and night out, though coach, has got to be the best player on the floor. And these are the first real important games of his career. And I don't know if you ease into the playoffs, it, it felt like he lets the action sometimes come to him. He needs to be more aggressive, and I don't know how LeBron can facilitate that. You know, can you change somebody's personality? Because it might just be Anthony Davis's personality.
5: Well, I don't think you ever change somebody's personality, but you can uh, help them to reach whatever maximum level of intensity they can. You know, L.A. all year has been dynamic in transition, and Davis got a couple in transition last night, but they've struggled in half court. They're, they just don't have a lot of weapons. When you think about it, who else is going to be able to create a shot yeah. other than, James or Davis Um, without Rondo, Avery Bradley. I think they miss his defense and off the ball cutting and movement. I'm interested to see, do they put in somebody like waiters to try to have another guy who can go off the dribble? He only played a minute last night. So uh, I'm just interested. Um, Their starting unit. uh, It just doesn't, They didn't play well, and they haven't played well offensively in the half court.
3: Talking to Jeff Van Gundy, ESPN ABC analyst. He'll be on the call on Thursday, Oklahoma City and the Rockets, and then it'll be the Lakers and Blazers. If uh, I'm Portland, what do I want the Lakers, what am I forcing or trying to get the uh, Lakers to do?
5: Well, I think what you want to do is, Make sure you, you do a better job of keeping Anthony Davis off the line. And then I would double him on every low post or mid post catch and make that ball go to the other Lakers and see if they have enough offense on the weak side. And I think if the Lakers are able to get through this series, I have no doubts that they're going to, every team that plays them is going to try to test the Lakers to see if they have enough offense uh, in the half court. And if you don't give the Lakers transition, if you're Terry studs, right, we turned the ball over 16 times and that led to some breakouts. But if we can just keep them in the half court, make them shoot it up over the top, they won't shoot five for 32 from three, but do they have enough shooting?
3: And then Portland, I didn't know. I thought they might be on fumes. You know that adrenaline, and you've coached against teams with teams that they just seem to be relying on something internally. And Portland still has that last night. And I also thought the big men uh, proved to be a pretty big difference for that team when I didn't think Whiteside. You know who doesn't play that much, but then they relied on him last night. You you just got a nice team contribution. And that's a team that's a better all-around, overall, top-to-bottom team than the Lakers are.
5: Well, I thought the you know winning the play-in game on the first night um, gave them that extra day off, so that they had two days off in between games uh, to plan and to recharge. And the thing I think uh, Terry Stotts's team. You know, none of those guys had a big night last night. Yeah. None of them. They No one shot well. They won shooting under 40%, but they got to the free throw line. And um, like you said, they got some timely contributions. Whiteside, uh, Nurkis didn't have a particularly big night, but I thought, you know, he did some good things. Uh, Lillard's bomb obviously was an, an incredible shot, but um, they can, if I'm Terry Stotts, I'm saying we can play a lot better and we're going to need to play better because certainly the Lakers aren't going to shoot like that. I just thought they were more ready. And when, you you know, Doug Collins used to always say, the NBA is not a fourth quarter league. It's a first quarter league. And the team that's ready can play with a cushion uh, the entire night. And that's exactly what happened, you know, for Portland. Uh, They were up double digits at the end of one. And that cushion allowed them to play free and with great confidence.
3: Barkley. Uh, At one point last night, halftime, I think Rockets and the Thunder said that uh, James Harden is, I think, the most unstoppable one-on-one player that he's ever seen. What do you make of that?
5: Well, I think certainly in this era with these rules, uh, the spacing is so much greater now. Uh, The rules are tilted entirely to the offensive player. Um, his skill level in this era of NBA basketball, uh, of one-on-one, uh, and the team he's on and how they've structured their team gives him maximum room, he's unguardable. And so if if you are unguardable, um, to me, Oklahoma City is going to look back in that first game with regret that they allowed him, other than Schroeder, they didn't really play him with great discipline. They fouled him on jump shots. Um, I I just think that Houston, when you look at Harden and all that he is required to do for that team, he and Doncic, I don't think any two guys, and maybe James too, maybe those three, they have such a burden to create every good shot that you're going to get offensively. Um, To have the stamina to do that. It requires true, true greatness, and I agree with uh, Charles that you know Harden has done it for a long period of time in Houston, and he's done it exceptionally well.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, he's a powerful guy. Gets you on his hip. He can, he can shoot the three. Uh, he's got great feet. He can get to the hoop there. But I always go back to the most unstoppable player of all time is Kareem because nobody ever stopped that. Sky hook. Now, granted, he couldn't create his own shot unless, you know, Magic threw it in there, but I always go Kareem would be the one guy that that shot was never stopped.
5: Well, that's uh, – and then, you know, Wilt in a different time, you know, era, era of basketball, you know, I, I don't know why Wilt's numbers get overlooked. The discrepancy between when he won a scoring title <laughs> – and next best, right, With like – it was always like these staggering differences. And, you know, like I don't know why, maybe because the the lane was different and, you know, we don't have as much video, but it's – But, like, Jeff, real- I
3: brought this up about Babe Ruth. Why is it we celebrate Babe Ruth and what he did, and we don't have any video of that, but we look at him as the greatest player of all time, wilt is babe ruth you know obviously without the titles but the stats he dwarfs everybody and we don't we don't recognize those i agree
5: well and also you know what's funny about that like without the titles he won two titles like we talk about it like this guy didn't win he did he just didn't win as much as russell right and russell played with you know in this incredible time and you think about the stats that Wilt put up and those guys put up, there were only eight teams. They were playing the eight you know, the seven other best centers in the world all the time. They didn't get to pick on center number twenty eight and twenty nine, yeah. like in today's NBA. <laughs> like like what Wilt did like and like you said about Kareem too, like Kareem, like because it looks so easy. People don't realize the, the amount of physical contact that was allowed on perimeter players, post players, and still today post players, but there's just not that many of them. But the amount of contact and how different the rules were, the rules back then were all tilted for the defense. You know, there wasn't freedom of movement. There wasn't, there was hand checking. There was body blows. There was no flagrant foul. I mean, it's like to score in that era the way Kareem did, and so effortlessly, um, you're right. The sky hook is absolutely the most indefensible shot that I've ever seen in the NBA.
3: Well, and you go back to the Mavericks and the Clippers, you know, when you had Porzingis getting involved with Morris, 20 years ago, they wouldn't have stopped play. Like, you would have just said, play on. Like, that would have been nothing. But, you know, that is a prime example of, you know, the way the NBA is now. And, uh, you know, what they're trying to protect or enforce. But, you know, when you were coaching, you probably had a few of those dust up every single night and nobody's getting teed up.
5: Yeah. I, I, I think common sense has to prevail. You know, the Porzingis ejection, I had as much problem with the first technical as I did with the second. And to me, both things were not overtly disrespectful Um, that it could lead you to an ejection. Now I'm not saying that officials were wrong, Dan, but the policies are wrong. Uh, I've read so many times that we're trying to take the decision-making out of officiating. That's nonsense. Officiating is about being able to make decisions, advantage, disadvantage. Um, It's the same with players. The difference with players who can make better decisions. It's not just who has better skills. It's, how to use a skill, when to use a skill. So I think sometimes we take perverse pleasure in the NBA in being <laughs> tough on crime. In Like, we're going to show them, you know, there's no air punches. Does anybody even care? Like, truly, is, there's a difference between an air punch directed at somebody you're walking to some official versus a natural reaction. And I just feel like, you know, Long ago, I think it was Bill Bill Simmons who first said it, but maybe I'm wrong, that every organization needs a vice president of common sense. And I think when we're talking about NBA officiating, common sense is so important. Um, Decision-making is so important. Policies that try to keep our best players on the floor versus figure out ways to get them off the floor, um, I, I just think make for a better game.
3: If I had you and your brother have a free-throw shooting contest where you shot 25 each, who would win?
5: Well, he's a better shooter, but I think his conditioning would um, – <laughs> his lack of conditioning, he may really fatigue after 15 straight free throws. And, and if it's outside in the heat, I've got it. Because he would absolutely wilt. Yes.
3: Uh, And I'll leave you with this. I was watching the Clippers play against the Mavs and Kawhi Leonard struck me as if I was going to attach a a soundtrack to players, his would be like Miles Davis. There's a, there's a, a jazz feel to Kawhi Leonard. And I don't know why I thought that, but it just felt like he moves at a different speed and a different grace about him. I I don't know, but I'm curious if we, Started attaching soundtracks to certain players by the way they played. That might be interesting. I don't know.
5: You know that's actually good. I don't know too much about music, but he does play at his own pace and rhythm. He's he's not easy to speed up because of his strength and his size. So, you know, you were talking earlier about somebody getting somebody on their hip like Harden, and then you can go at your own pace. I feel Doncic is the same way. He looks like a middle linebacker, like. At the point guard position, and he's not fleet of foot, but when he gets a, a, a half a step on you, it's hard to recover and get back in front. And these guys with this skill at their size and their strength and the vision they have, um, it's really hard to guard now. You know, you combine everything: rules, spacing, amount of shooting around. It's like video game type numbers these guys are putting up, and and Leonard can seemingly get a good shot anytime he wants to.
3: And I did bring this up the other day. So full disclosure, where I said, you know, Luka is better than Larry Bird right now at the same age because Larry was still in college. And Doncic has been playing against grown men since he was 15. And his the way he plays, what was Larry when he got into the league? 23, maybe 24, because he sat out a year uh, when he quit Indiana. Like Luka, where he is now... It, it's not unheard of to say he's going to be a better basketball player than Larry Bird.
5: Yeah, I think, like for me, comparison is the thief of joy because so- someone feels diminished
3: I know. When, I know
5: when you start saying things. <laughs> and I think sometimes we jump ahead of ourselves when we say a young player is like an all-time great because the true um, – measuring stick of the all-time greats is the consistency right so bird had this everyday consistency over a long period of time you know why is jabbar one of the you know you know could be the greatest or jordan right they did it for for a long period of time why is lebron james considered one of the greatest if not the greatest it's the consistency over time and really i don't see anything being able to get in luka's way um to achieving that type of status um, if his health holds up, because the guy has skill, he has passion, uh, he has vision. Like If you have all of that, that's what Larry Bird, that's that's what he had, and that's what Doncic has. And, I, you know, whether he's going to have the same team success that Bird had remains to be seen, and it's so dependent on who they can surround him with. But certainly Doncic is heading – be an all-time great, if holds
3: up. And, and that's why I, you know, Zion makes me nervous. You know, he he's must-see TV and he's explosive. But you know, when you're in a race with your body, you know, to stay in shape and be able to perform like that, Luca is going to be able to play the same way he's playing now, probably in 10 years from now, because it's not predicated on hey, he's so explosive or he's so quick or whatever. It just feels like. He plays like an old guy does when you you go to a playground and some guy who's 50 who played you know in the Ivy League and you're going well that guy's unstoppable. He just he knows how to play the game and I think that what you see now is probably what we'll see in 10 years from now and I can't make that same claim with Zion.
5: Hey Dan, there's no one that played like uh, Doncic. At Harvard, Yale, <laughs> and, okay, <laughs> no, but you're right as far as you know. He's not relying on straight and true athleticism, and he has two areas he can improve on, like which will make him again unguardable in today's game. He, he's he's a below average three point shooter, and he's a sub eighty percent free throw shooter for a guy who lives at the line, you just have, you know, slow incremental uh, progress in both of those areas over the next five years. I mean, now you're dealing with, let's just say he gets to be an average or slightly above average three point shooter. And there's no reason he shouldn't be an 80 plus free throw shooter, you know, and maybe he reduces his turnovers, you know, by, you know, maybe half or one a game. Those things at the margins, make him significantly better. I mean, I think he has still potential to grow. I think he's going to be a multiple-time MVP award winner because of the opportunity he has in Dallas um, and his greatness.
3: Great to talk to you, Jeff, as always. Thanks. We appreciate your time.
2: All right. Take care. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com.
1: to start listening.
3: Let me uh, let me get to the uh, North Carolina head coach, uh, Mac Brown, who uh, is you're about the same age as Coach Saban, aren't you, Mac? Uh,
8: Dan, I'll be sixty nine at the end of this month, so yes. All right, I like that. Do you have an email address? What I do is, is I'm not near as smart as Nick. I answer my own <laughs> emails, and he's got somebody else answering his. So, what a great thing if you say I don't text. Uh, I don't answer the phone. I don't have a cell phone. I don't have an email. uh, So don't contact me. I I think that's it. I I may go to all that today. I may cancel my email after this show.
3: (laughs) You got uh, Syracuse on September 12th at home. How confident are you that you're going to play that game?
8: Dan, I think we're going to play. And and my job's to lead this team. So I've I've got uh, everything I do is to prepare to play. What our presidents have said, and I'm very proud of their, their stance uh, and they've talked to our medical experts is that they haven't said, we're going to play. They've said that we're moving forward, trying to make sure that it's safe enough to play. And I think that's good. We're yeah. uh, we have not had uh, positives on the football field. We've practiced now probably 11 times and it's, it's good. And, and kids are staying safe where all of us have issues is when they leave our, our football area, the complex and, and they they have their normal social lives, and, and things have changed. They can't have that normal social life anymore. And also, if the
3: students are on campus but not going to classes, I would think that that helps your football team staying safe, uh, you know, and not being out in the you know the general population there. That you can almost keep them in a bubble of sorts on campus. Is that the
8: game plan? Then it is. Uh, basketball's proven that that works, and. Uh, even when we were going to class the, the last week, the classes were very safe. Somebody was holding the door. There were uh, uh, probably a third of the normal people in the classroom, the normal students. They were social distance. They all had masks. So our players told me they felt very comfortable. I think, again, Dan, our problem is is when you get outside of, of football, outside of the classroom, and kids are going to be kids. And, and uh, we're, we're all telling them, wear a mask if you'll do that and social distance be around people that are wearing a mask wash your hands sanitize everything the universities are trying to do everything in their power to help and now we've got to have the students to to step up and help us as well
3: why is it the acc big 12 and sec are still trying to play planning on playing and the pac-12 and big 10 are not
8: it seems to me it's just the difference in uh, uh, medical opinions the medical experts seem to think it's not as safe for the the big 10 and the pac-12 and the medical experts here and and the triangle is one of the top medical centers in the world uh we have great medical experts and and they've done everything that we do dan They've, they've touched it they're talking about how many fans can be in the stands where they sit, how we eat how we have our team meetings they they have looked at and approved everything and as long as these brilliant people think that it's safe for these young people to play, the kids want to play. The coaches want to play. We had our best practice yesterday, and I wish that our fans and media could be out there to, to watch. They're excited and they're having fun, and it's probably one of the few normal things right now in their lives.
3: <laughs> Excuse me, Coach. Have you heard from players' uh, parents through this?
8: yes we've, we've tried to keep in constant contact with the parents and uh well even on monday night dan we had uh, I, I opened the meeting we had a zoom meeting with all of our parents and we had our doctors on there we had our trainers on there and and they gave them a presentation of how things are going and what we're doing and why we're doing it good and then had uh, an hour available for uh questions. So I think you've got to over communicate at this time. And we've told our players and probably to nauseam that if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't want to play, don't practice today. And, and it's not the best to get ready for Syracuse. But these times are different. And we have to handle these times differently. And if you want to opt out, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't want to play, you get to keep your scholarship. But come back and see us in January or, or when this, uh, this virus goes away.
3: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really tricky because you can do everything right. The athletic director, the school, the players, but it comes down to the student body as well. Like you, these players have got to be diligent in policing themselves. And that's hard to do coach when you're 20, 21, 22 years of age on a college campus.
8: Well, it is Dan, you and I don't like wearing the mask. You, you're, you're a very personable guy. You don't like staying away from people that are friends of yours and I. I can't shake a hand. I can't hug somebody's neck. And, and all that's different now than it's ever been in our lives before. Uh, and, and what we've got to do is show great leadership for these young people. And by doing that, then they've got to follow us. And And I think the other thing is that it's never been more important to have a team-led team than uh, right now. That when, when they're away from us, we've told them, if you want to play, then you social distance. You wear your mask. If, if you don't care then that's okay. But if you want to play, you've got to do what the medical experts are telling you to do, because that's going to be the difference when it comes down to when they make a final decision.
3: Any chance you keep Notre Dame for good in the ACC with football?
8: Well, I, I would love that. It, it, it'd be a win for the ACC. Uh, great program, obviously. A tremendous brand nationally. Um, great TV revenue and, and market uh They do it right. They they go by the rules. They're they're always going to be good. Uh, So it would be a home run for us if we could.
3: What do you have uh, in your office there? The the coolest thing you have in the office there is what?
8: Uh, The national championship trophy that's right over my shoulder that I'm hoping every recruit sees.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You should walk around with that. You know, just like a push cart, you know, a scooter or something and have that. You go back to that 2005 season, the play that Vince Young ran. What was the call? And was, was that a design play to beat USC?
8: It was a design play. It was menu number two because at that time we were going no huddle because it was the end of the game and, and uh, you, you had to get the play in very quickly. And I'll never forget, it was a play that Vince told us he wanted to run if we got in that situation. Cause we said, what's your, your best go to play if, if we get down to the end and we have to make a play? And, and he said, menu two. And, and so we called it. And I'll never forget, it. I said, look quickly. And if they're open, throw it. But if not, your legs are pretty darn good for five yards. So uh, don't be hesitant to pull it down and run it. And he, he wasn't uh, throwing it, coach. No. No, he, he pulled the old, <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I'm going to fake it like I'm going to throw it and, and then got in that end zone very quickly.
3: Why didn't he work out in the NFL?
8: Do you know, in, in some ways he did, Dan. He was uh, Rookie of the Year and made the Pro Bowl a couple of times and he helped the, the, the Titans get to the playoffs. Uh, I worry sometimes that young people that leave a year early um, maybe aren't quite as ready. Uh, for all the stuff, as much as they are the football. And it was a very uncomfortable situation, too, that uh, Coach Fisher didn't want him. Uh, Norm Chow, they both wanted Matt Leinard, who is a great player. But Norm had Coach Matt at USC. And Bud Adams, the owner, wanted Vince because he was from Houston. So they were kind of forced into taking him. And mm. and when they said, we want Matt Leinard, and then you're forced to take somebody else, they came to me and said, how are we going to handle this? And I said, it's not good, brother. You, you better go talk to Vince very quickly and tell him that the, the reason it wasn't that you didn't want Vince, you wanted Matt because he ran your system and, and and you were very comfortable with him. So it just didn't start out right. And, and I don't think it was ever really good.
3: Has Michael Jordan been to a practice?
8: He has not. I've, I've seen him in town a couple of times and Michael's very supportive. And of course we all love the last dance and, uh, he is so competitive. When I saw him last spring uh, in in Jordan Brand, his shoes, Dan, he's got Michigan, uh, he's got Oklahoma, he's got Florida, and he's got North Carolina. So here I am, the new coach, and I said, Michael, why did you give your shoe brand to to Oklahoma and to Michigan and Florida, man? Why didn't you just give them to us? And he said, Why don't you start winning some games, <laughs> like the rest of them? and then we'll talk about who I give my shoes to? And, and I thought, eh, Yeah, that's fair. Yeah.
3: Yeah, you became Now you know what his teammates felt like when he was there. There's
8: uh, no question. I, I, I didn't know what they did. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> uh,
3: good luck in uh, trying to pull this off, Coach. It's great to talk to you. you got Syracuse September 12th in Chapel Hill. Uh, great to see you.
2: Hope you're well. Thank you.
8: Thanks, Dan. Thank I always appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. You keep yourself uh, safe and healthy.
2: Be sure to catch the live edition of The Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. If you love
4: sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon,
1: To start listening.
3: Nick Saban set to join us here, and uh, is coach with us, ready to go. Okay, uh, coach. Thanks for joining us. You know, we were talking about before you came on that I think you were at Michigan State for four years when Tom Brady was at Michigan for four years. What do you remember about Tom Brady at Michigan?
9: Uh that that's interesting because my last year at Michigan State, um, Tom Brady was a senior. And they had a guy named drew Henson who was you know supposed to be a really really good quarterback and a first round draft pick in baseball and they couldn't they couldn't settle on who should be the quarterback, so we actually beat them thirty four to thirty one um and uh I think they scored thirty one points when Brady was playing quarterback, and <laughs> they didn't score any when drew Henson was playing uh so uh, that's what I remember.
3: <laughs> and and Henson was this two-sports star, and we didn't really know what Brady was. And then Brady gets drafted by Belichick and the Patriots. He's behind Drew Bledsoe. And then you go to Miami, and then you end up f- facing Brady a couple of times after that. What do you remember about that?
9: Well, we, we were actually um, two and two against the, the Patriots uh, in the two years that I was, you know, at Miami. Uh, but you know, the Patriots were always, you know, sort of the toughest opponent in terms of they had good players, but they were really well coached. They had really good system. And, um, you know, if Tom Brady was really on his game, you, you, you really were in for a, a, a difficult day. So, um, that's kind of what I remember. And, uh he, he, he's been a good player for a long, long time and uh, certainly a great ambassador for the sport.
3: What quarterback kept you up at night considering all the great quarterbacks you faced, uh, you know, college
9: or pro? Well, I think when I was a defensive coordinator at the Cleveland Browns for Belichick, you know, you had John Elway, Dan Marino, that, that whole crew, you know, that came into the league in, the, in 84 or whenever it was. Yeah. And um, they all, when you're a defensive coordinator, you know, you just really start – you worry about stopping the other team. So I had lots of sleepless nights over those guys.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think Elway is might be the most talented quarterback I ever saw in the NFL because he had that strong arm. He was – he could run, a two-sports star – you know, it, it was just when he lost Super Bowls, then all of a sudden you can't be the greatest of all time when you're losing three Super Bowls. They put all that blame on him, but um, I I'd still wonder what Elway would be like in today's NFL.
9: Well, I think it'd be—he I, I, was the most difficult guy to defend, yeah. and you you mentioned the reasons why. You know, the other guys were all talented passers and very very good at that part of the game, but. When you try to defend someone and they're dual threat, um, they have arm talent, they can throw the ball, they can beat you throwing, but then they can take off running, scramble, extend plays. Um, that creates tremendous problems for you on, on defense, and that's what John Elway did that the others didn't do. Um, whether he won or lost Super Bowls or not, if you're the defensive coordinator and you're playing them, you're not too concerned about that part. You're just concerned about trying to keep your job.
3: <laughs> uh, we're talking – is somebody cutting you off there, Coach?
9: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Just had to – Auburn uh, fan? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs>
3: We're talking to uh, Nick Saban, the Alabama head coach, and you're still scheduled to open up uh, at Missouri on the 26th of September. You, you uh, feel a hundred percent confident that's going to happen.
9: Well, I think that the mindset with the players for a long time has been, you know, they're practicing. They're trying to get prepared for a season really with a lot of unknowns, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. And, um, So you almost felt like you were sacrificing uh, your time for the season. But I think now, you know, everybody has really looked at it a little different. You have a schedule, you have a first game. Uh, Now we're back to investing our time in trying to create value for our team, for the individuals on our team to create value for themselves and uh, get ready to play football. And I think, that's the only way that we can look at it and um, really almost have to stop thinking about, well, this might happen, that might happen. Those things may or may not happen. No one really knows. But at least we have a defined challenge now that we can look forward to, and uh, that's the mindset that I'm really trying to get our players to take because the uncertainty that we've had ever since March – uh, has created a little different mindset for everyone in terms of, yeah, we're doing all this work, but w- w- what's it leading up to? And now at least we have direction. So um, our organization is trying to get the mindset that we you know, utilize everything that we can do every day. We're actually practicing now to uh, try to take advantage of, of creating value and investing in our future.
3: Does it feel a little more normal? If if you can apply that word to what's going on now with practice,
9: absolutely, yeah. um, a lot more. And uh, even though we're not really having fall camp, we're sort of doing the twenty-hour week, which is okay. Um, we we still have twenty-five practices, and um, so we're we're excited about the opportunity, and I think the players are as well.
3: What was it like uh, being around you at home when you couldn't do anything football-wise?
9: Well, I was one of the few people, I think there was three people in our building that could come to work. So the first day that they said, you should come home, you should stay home, I had a little Zoom set up you know, upstairs in my little office. And um, obviously the reason that we were supposed to stay home is you're supposed to stay away from people. So when Miss Terry's, crew came to work, about 17 strong, cleaning ladies, two yard guys, you know, accountants that come and do her books and run Nick's kids. I said, I'm safer going to work than I am staying here. (laughs) So, um, and the one good thing that came from all this is I never had an email address. So people used to send her emails for me. And like the first day of the pandemic she got like 500 emails and she said you're done i'm not taking any more of your emails so if you want <laughs> if, if you want your information get your own email so i, I actually have an email now I've, I've really made wow te- look at you technological progress <laughs>
3: Here you are approaching 69 years of age, I think, uh, in October, and you, you finally got an email, Coach. Email address. I got an
9: email. That yeah, is great. Not, yeah. Can, no, no matter how old you are, you can still improve. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, did you hear the story when your former running back, Josh Jacobs, was on our show last year?
9: Uh, I don't think so.
3: That's where he said that uh, – let me play it for you. This is what Josh Jacobs had to say.
9: Uh, Saving just like he likes to do a lot of like these nuts jokes. It's funny because like you, don't I haven't heard one of them since like middle school. And then Saving, when I went to college, Saving used to do it a lot. So wait, 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 what, wait. What, give me one here. <laughs> all right, so one day I was catching, I caught like five passes um, in a row, and he was like, he was like, "Hey, hey Josh, if you want to hold all the balls, uh, hold these." I said, "What?" <laughs> so I just sat there. I sat there for a second. And I was like. Did he really just said it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! He
3: was doing D's nuts to you. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Coach,
9: I ain't heard this is moving.
3: <laughs> uh Tua confirmed that story. There, Coach. Would you like to comment on D's nuts?
9: Well, um, I like to have fun with the players. Uh, I think it's probably good to that they see you every now and then in a little bit different light. Um, since I'm a defensive coach, and I probably get on the defensive players a little bit more ferociously. Um, It's a little easier for me to be lighthearted with the offensive players. And, you know, there's some guys on your team you just love, like Josh Jacobs to, uh, you know, Henry Ruggs. You know, we've had a lot of really good players on offense that have great personalities and great work ethic, and you just love them. And those are the kind of guys I usually pick out to – do all the tease and stuff. And I love it.
3: I, we laughed when I've been, I've been doing this a long time coach. I never thought that I would bring up that topic with you under any circumstances. But then after Josh and Tua brought up that your sense of humor and I said, I love hearing that story. So you don't have to apologize or anything or, you know, uh, it, it was great. I got a big chuckle out of that.
9: Yeah. Well, I'm glad <laughs> they, at least they remember something. <laughs> we tried to teach them. <laughs>
3: Well, good luck with uh, the whole process there, coach. And uh, we'll be uh we'll be waiting for the 26 when you face Missouri.
9: Okay, Dan. Thank best you, coach. Walk to you. All right, buddy. Stay safe. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Fox
2: Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This guy's always interesting.
3: Just ask him, he'll tell you. He's uh, Brian Cranston, the actor. Uh, I don't even know how to introduce you You're a lot of things But uh, you're a friend of the show And therefore we're friends of whatever you do So it's great
7: to see you How are you? I'm good, Dan I'm, uh, I'm, you know just getting through like, like everybody else, like our entire country is just trying to figure out what this new normal looks like when we all go back to work and all that stuff. It's odd. It's And it's also odd how we're also adapting to it and just kind of accepting the new the new protocols and things of work. That's but I see
3: strange. where there's things being uh, like uh, Keanu Reeves is doing Matrix in Berlin, I think, or someplace. Like just trying to – like how does an actor – Get together to do projects here if you can't go or social distancing or travel—all those things.
7: It's difficult, uh, especially in our business where intimacy is inherent in the in the work. I mean, uh, uh, embracing, lovemaking, kissing, uh, shaking hands—I mean, it's all part of storytelling, and so it's going to be extremely difficult for film production at any scale, any significant scale, to be able to come back before a vaccine. So we'll see. But
3: then you got COVID back in, what, was that April when you got it?
7: March even, like just the first first week uh, when we were shut down, I was doing a a limited series in New Orleans um, called Your Honor. And it was having a good time. We had about two more episodes to shoot shut down on the 13th of march by the following week i was diagnosed with COVID. it was like bang bang
3: and you know what was the symptoms or did you know you were sick
7: well first my wife uh tested and she was tested positive and i i just assumed well we been together for the last ten days straight. I'm, I'm, it is impossible not to get it from her. So, and I did. Um, we were very fortunate that uh, our symptoms were very mild. Uh, we had a couple days of achiness, and then um, you know, a, 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 about a week of absolute exhaustion. It's just one of those times you, you just can't sleep enough. Uh, who's
3: a better COVID testing positive actor? You or Tom Hanks?
7: Oh, there's, there's no question that I excel at, at testing positive. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, there's a there's a little comp- a weird competition. Look, men are men. I know. Stupid, <laughs> anyways. So Tom told me about. He gave me the address and the, the contact name of the person to uh, to set up to for have me start a, a plasma donation program, and so I did, and I said, you know, over time, your, your antibodies will diminish and your plasma may not be as effective as it, as they hope. So hopefully you can do it twice or three times. And so I'm going back actually the day after tomorrow to, for my third donation of plasma and, uh, that and I just wanted to find out from Tom. So, how how potent was your antibodies? How many times were you able to do it? You know, oh, only twice. Only oh, that's a shame. Only twice. My antibodies are
3: strong, my friend. Doesn't it bother you how nice Tom Hanks is?
7: <laughs> He's, uh, no, you know what? I mean, the truth is. You can't even joke about it, because he's so good. Um, I've worked with him, he's given me a job, I've worked with him like four times, and um, I've really learned from him how to behave. Not that I was going to misbehave, but how to step up and embrace that responsibility of being the leader of a cast, uh, which sets the tone for the entire shoot, and how he, conducts himself, his comportment. Yeah. He goes to work. He's prepared. He's got a good attitude, uh, has a blast, a couple, you know, uh, gags and things going on, keeps the set loose, knows everybody's name, and and then goes home. So all the drama is in the show and not around the show. And that's why everybody loves to work with him. And there are, you know, a few people who have that reputation, and he's one, and I was fortunate enough to learn from that.
3: Where are you... Uh... Right now. Are you at your house? I'm I'm at my house, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In in Los Angeles. You don't really you didn't dress up the backdrop. You got like a ladder, you got a
7: piece of art, you got Yeah, it's like a um, yeah, it's like a piece of art back what do you mean I didn't dress up my background? Well are- just because look at look at you, you have tchotchkes all over the place. Yes. Yes, I yeah. love tchotchkes. Jeez. Tom it's
3: Hanks terrible. would have an Oscar behind him right now if he was on this. Show. no that's that's why he wouldn't have an Oscar behind him that's how good he is <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got a couple of Emmys around here too that I just like straggling a couple over here how I, come
5: you
7: don't put him in the shot
3: I you know that would be rubbing it in I, I, you know it's just not fair what,
7: are you rubbing it into your competition yes Who do you feel is your biggest competitor in in? in Oh, as Brian turns the
3: tables on Mr. Patrick. Okay, (laughs) I see what you've done there.
7: Yes. Who is my?
3: It's me because I compete with myself every day. There's nobody who could provide something who would uh, make me feel like that's a direct competitor. There are great people in this business, but I compete against myself. What, the Danettes
4: are calling BS <laughs> oh, over there? come on. No, I, <laughs> I, 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 are you Andy Reid? What kind of answer was that? I was trying
3: yeah. to be politically correct. Oh, okay, who is my competition, Danettes? Like, Paulie? Well, Like a list of people you hate that you compete <laughs> no, no, against? I can not, get that. And I can't
7: do the ones <laughs> we'll I start with, oh. hate. <laughs> Don't mention the hate ones. Don't mention
3: them. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, you could have dressed it up there a little bit. That's
7: all. Oh God, that's your that's your that's how you subterfuge. Yes. The question was, who do you feel you're in competition with? Who do you who do you look at and go, that guy is good, or that woman is really good at what she does? I wish I can rise to that level. Uh,
3: well, Bob Costas is always going to be there. Quite, I mean, he, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's okay, but <laughs> he's he's in my sights, uh, even though he's got I think about twenty eight more Sports Emmys than I do. Um, yeah. but I, I there's things that I take from people that I admire, like Al Michaels, his okay. ability to have composure in the biggest moments. Uh, so yeah. there, there's so many that I look at, but anybody who wins a sports Emmy, I'm in competition with them okay. automatically.
7: Well, do you, do you do any play-by-play? Do no. you do anything like that? No. Is that something you've wanted to do? I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm just no I I could never
3: capture what I grew up listening to and mm-hmm. I, I have such great respect for those who do it that I thought I didn't want to get in the way of somebody who I thought could do it better than me and that's the one part of this business that I didn't have confidence in the other part you know hosting the Olympics or you know a Super Bowl or doing a show uh entertaining you know a nation you know those are things that come naturally to me but uh you know
7: yeah. Entertaining the nation. Yes. They,
3: I was waiting for the reaction. It was a delayed reaction there from you on that.
7: I was I was trying to uh, pre- pre- prevent myself from choking up. Um, what what actor do you hate? Do you have the list of
3: guys Hugh that you hate? Oh, you hate Hugh Jackman, don't you?
7: Oh, my God. He is so I, – I hate him because he's so nice, so talented, so yeah. handsome. Yep. Yeah. I just I, – I wish he would crash and burn that guy. Did you
3: see – I was thinking of you. Ryan Reynolds sold yeah. his gin for yeah. $600 million. Y-
7: yeah, he did. That's that's a expensive bottle of
2: gin. <laughs>
7: wow. But, you know, you got Clooney. See, it's not fair.
3: Clooney, a billion dollars for his tequila, $600 million for Ryan Reynolds.
7: Yeah, it's, it's stupid money. It's stupid. We, uh, we have, you know, Aaron, Paul, and I have our, our mezcal dos hombres. Yes. And, uh, it's going incredibly well. We're selling like insane amounts. I, I, I think people are just drinking. They are. I'm right there with them. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, uh, but the cocktails are tasty. And as long as you, you know, keep it in check and, you know, from time to time, I will, I will go. I'll, I'll go. I'll say, I'm not going to drink at all this week or two weeks. I just won't <laughs> drink at all. Yeah, and then I and then I go off and I have a couple drinks and it's nice. It's, uh, you want to be able to control that. But when? Know? When's the last time you were upside down? Evan? Oh, uh, probably 20, 25 years ago. Something oh, like okay. That. okay. Oh yeah. No, that's there's something you know. There's a mechanism within boys that is stuck most of the time. And that is knowing when you've had enough. It's
3: just, <laughs> it, 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 it's like
7: I, I, You think you can control it, and then all of a sudden it's, it, you're, you're out.
3: It taps you on the shoulder, and it goes, uh-oh, made that yeah. same mistake. Uh, yeah. Explain to me the uh, one and only Ivan. This is a Disney movie based off a book, and I saw the reviews. I didn't get to see the movie. I just saw the reviews, which...
7: Look like they're very. Po- Do you read reviews? No, no. I uh, I stopped reading reviews about seven years ago or so. When when I did a movie and and a reviewer came out and made a bunch of assumptions and and comments that I that were really unfair and wrong in the assumption. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is this just irritates me. And 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 you know doing doing theater it's not going to change your performance you 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 do all the work to present what you do and if someone doesn't like it then they don't like it but um i just realized that it doesn't it doesn't help me even the the positive reviews i don't know it just it i i don't need that kind of um you know, s- support. I-, I I, feel good about what I'm doing and I present it, do the best I can. And then if people like it, great. If they don't, that's OK, too. I'd
3: right, explain it because it's uh, it's on Disney Plus beginning this yeah. Friday and it's a family movie. And I yeah. know that uh, Angelina Jolie is in Sam Rockwell, Danny DeVito, uh, just some of the people in there. But explain the concept of the one and only Ivan.
7: Well, this was based on a true story. There was a a husband and wife in Tacoma, Washington that adopted a lowland gorilla, a baby from Africa when its family was wiped out by poachers. And this is, I mean, a baby in diapers. And they would take this baby in a stroller to the park, put it in swings. It drew all kinds of attention and news media was all over it. It was quite a thing. But this lowland gorilla grows up to be A silverback gorilla, of course, and doing what gorillas do inside a person's home is destroy it, climbing on things, pulling off the refrigerator door because they're curious and opening up the couch. I mean, it's it's (laughs) it destroyed this house and it actually destroyed the marriage in real life. Well, it came time that the, the guy uh, who's my character, uh, he wanted to do something to keep his son with him. So he rented a defunct um, shopping mall, an indoor shopping mall in Tacoma and, and put his beloved son Ivan in that and had a de facto circus and people would come from all around to see Ivan and then he got other animals in other cages and there they were. Uh, that's where we take the story from a Disney Disney aspect and we expand on it in a fantastic way and the the animals all talk to each other and communicate with each other and then the live action humans cannot understand what the what the animals are saying but we think they do we've always had that anthropomorphism where where we think our dogs hear us and understand what we're saying and, and vice versa and it's fantastic. It's about promise keeping and and allowing yourself to dream. It's uh, about friendship and it's about letting go and and maybe doing the right thing. Um, this fa- this film, the one and only Ivan, you're, you're with your family. You can watch it. A six year old, a one hundred and six year old. You're going to get something out of it. you're going to cry and you're going to smile and laugh. It's really a lot of fun.
3: It'll be on uh, Disney Plus beginning this Friday. It's called The One and Only Ivan. And you being a method actor, you actually lived with a gorilla for a couple of months in your house. Is that true?
7: I Yeah. Um, and my wife uh, called the divorce attorney almost immediately. Really? Yeah. And, uh, but now this gorilla and I are having a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks would do that. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so would Costas. Yeah. But you would
3: acknowledge Costas is better than me, right?
7: I, well, I would acknowledge that Costas has that fluidity, that that encyclopedia mind to, to bring up those anecdotes and things Brian, like that.
3: Brian, you're supposed to say no.
7: Oh, no, no, he's not better. Than, that's right. I'm sorry, I forgot. I, yeah. You know,
3: when you've been on, I say you're the best actor of our generation. With the, you know, I don't Am say I one say of. No?
7: Am I supposed to say no? No, that's
3: not true. Well, well you maybe... fake humility. You can do that. <laughs> Does your wife ever say, I... "Are you acting or are you being honest?"
7: No, no, I. Uh, Robin and I have a great relationship. We've been together for 33 years and, and it's it's just terrific. And even more so now in this pandemic, I think we've deepened that. I think this this situation will either expose the fragility of, of a marriage or or deepen it. And Why'd you we're... get
3: serious? I was just having a little bit of fun where you might be trying to act with your wife and you know she'd no. be like, do you really do you really think I look good in this outfit? Are
7: you acting, Brian? Listen, as any good husband, the answer is always yes. Unless she says, do, I, do you think I look fat in this outfit? Then it's no. Yeah. Do you like my hair? Yes. yes. <laughs> do, you, do you like the color? Yes. yes. <laughs> do you like this dress? Yes. 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 That is the test for any uh, new husband.
3: Well, that's we're both actors, so we obviously connect
7: on that wavelength. I have got a I've got a Bob Costas story. Is it good? Is going to make me oh, feel Is it good? So you want me to qualify my story first to go Can you tell it... it in a minute? No,
3: I can't tell. Oh, okay. It. Next time. Next time. When you okay. dress up
7: the uh
3: your office or whatever that is. I have oh, you know what? Really? Next time t- have Tom Hanks over
7: in the background, that would be awesome. Okay. Th- you know what? I am such a fan of Bob Costas. He, is, you know, he will forever live in his shadow. Thank you, Brian. Good luck with the movie. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. It's good to talk to you guys.
0: When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires.
6: Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.
0: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars for is